Welcome to the Sober by Design podcast, where we explore the many pathways to recovery and a better life through conversations with a wide array of guests. Whether you're sober curious, in recovery, or simply looking to improve your mental health and well-being, this podcast will have something for you. Each week, we sit down with inspiring guests from all walks of life who share their personal stories of struggle and triumph, offering valuable insights and practical advice on how to design a life worth living. From addiction and mental health to spirituality and creativity, we cover a wide range of topics that are relevant to anyone seeking to live a more fulfilling and authentic life. So join us on this journey of discovery, growth, and transformation. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sober by Design podcast. Tonight, my guest is Marcy Rossi. Marcy is an alcohol-free coach who uh, I met online actually through a uh, like a podcast matchup site. And um, fun fact, Marcy and I recorded this uh, last week and I didn't record it. So we're doing it all again for, for you all because it was a great episode and I want to make sure that Marcy's message gets out. So welcome again to the podcast, Marcy. Thank you. Take two. <laughs> Take two. Um, so I like to start out all these episodes uh, just kind of going over everybody's past, where they grew up, how they grew up. So if you could just give us a little background on, on that, that'd be awesome. Sure. So um, I'm currently living in Texas. That's where I would say that I grew up and I was raised. Born in Canada, so there for a couple of years. But I'm really Texas is kind of where I would call home. Um, so it, so I and part of actually the growing up is is kind of my heritage, right? So I'm Italian. And if you'd asked me before, kind of where did your journey with alcohol begin? I would say I start drinking at 16. But then once someone phrased it to me as when did you get your first taste of alcohol? And that's when I realized that it was actually um, when I was much younger because for, Ita- for Italians, at least in my Italian family, the idea was to kind of acclimate you to alcohol and to kind of build the taste. So my grandfather made wine. He grew his own grapes. It was absolutely terrible. Um, So we would water it down with Sprite and you would have just so little wine in that glass that it would be a light pink color. And still it was kind of awful. You just did what you had to do and you keep drinking Sprite afterwards. So that was kind of my introduction to alcohol. But um, I don't think about that. I think about um, that that 16 year old girl who was just starting. I was the straight A student, never got in trouble. I had two younger brothers that were total troublemakers. So I did everything right. And that was, I guess, kind of my way to rebel. And so, my, you know, my friends and I would sneak alcohol out of my parents' liquor cabinet and then top it off with water. And I'd blame my brothers if I ever got in trouble because it couldn't be me, right? Mm. Um, and and then it just kind of grew from there. But I always, um, it, it was always, it always felt like I was doing what everybody else was doing, right? Like teenagers were getting in trouble. They were partying sometimes, you know, then going into college, I went to one of the most Greek universities in the country. And so drinking was very prevalent there. And they also, there were also a lot of people with a lot of money there. So alcohol was not hard to come by. We weren't stuck drinking natty lights or anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was, but I was drinking like everybody else was, you know, we were all drinking on weekends and it wasn't until my first bout of depression that alcohol kind of took a different turn for me. Um, So I was in Australia the first time I was depressed. It was my study abroad. And I think it was that big change that really kind of set things into motion. But during that time, I was drinking alcohol almost all the time. Like I had a box of wine under my desk in my room. And just if I was you know, not in class or out, I was at home drinking. Um, it, it was it was my medicine. That's how I could understand to cope. That's all I could deal with. I, I just had never confronted this before. And it helped me 
not care about how terrible I was feeling. So that's just kind of how I went into it. Um, when I would kind of get my depression under control, I think my alcohol look, use looked a lot like everybody else's again, where it's kind of on the weekends, it's kind of um, what you do for fun, but not necessarily your everyday crutch. But then I had several more bouts of depression after that. And it again became exactly the same thing where it is an all day, every day kind of situation there. Um, eventually enough was enough. And I decided that I needed to stop. And I did that with the help of a coaching program. And it was just so transformational for me that I decided that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and kind of help people the same way. Great. Great. Um, so a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> I just want to go back to like the Italian heritage and the growing Sorry. up and having that part of your, your uh, story. So one thing I'll say is like when I was drinking, I, I always felt, and, and I could kind of relate to your grandfather. I made beer and okay. I, you know, and I was, that was like my big thing. Right. And, and, um, you know, early on my beer was awful. I'm pretty sure people would tell me it was great and, you know, it was a whole thing. And, you know, there was this level, I think for myself where it was like, I was a, you know, I was a different type of drinker because of that. Right. Like I didn't have a problem because like I made my own beer and this was part of who I was. And like, even though there was a problem at the time. So I know that, you know, in families where it is something that you, you know, it, it's part of the, who you are, it, you can overlook those sort of tendencies that, that you're overdoing it, at, you know, no matter what's happening, because it's like, well, we've made this wine or, you know, this is what we do because we are, Italian or Irish or, you know, Russian and, you know, like there's, it's like almost like a built-in excuse, um, which I, you know, I wonder if that, um, you know, I know it, it played a part in your story, but like, I wonder how much you carried that through, like as part of it, like, was that your identity? Like I'm, I'm Italian and I drank homemade wine, so it's okay. Or is it like um, so the homemade wine part, no, <laughs> I get, I get the Italian, um, part of the the respect of kind of doing things with your own hands. Yeah. I mean, they're they were very old world Italians. Um, when I say Italian, I mean, my grandparents were actually born in Italy. Yeah. Um, history through there, so these were real um, Italians that they're just carrying on tradition. I guess that was kind of the view there that this was tradition. Uh, for me, I think it was more wanting to be an adult. Okay. So I've always been a very mature child. I was the firstborn, and that was a signal of adulthood was to say this is what you do. And it's funny that I think about it. You know. Um, my first experience is there because it was expected that this is something that we aren't going to like, right? Mm. So a lot of people say like, oh, I like to drink because I really like the taste. It's like, but do you really like the taste? Do you remember your first drink? Because mine was terrible and I did it because I had to. And then I would have my, you know, Sprite or Canada Dry afterwards. Um, so it's expected that this is something that you're not going to enjoy and that we have to work to get you to where you're going to be eventually to, so that you can fit in so that you'll be you know the traditional ways that you'll be sophisticated you know xyz um it's just an interesting approach but i think it was really not necessarily italian part but just wanting to be an adult wanting to sit at the big kids table i was um kind of the middle aged of my cousins most yeah. of my cousins were girls uh, actually at, at the time only one but only all but one were a girl and so i wanted to, to fit into that group to be cool or to be older to okay and then you went to a big university. Um, again, I kind of can relate to this story more, the, so the Greek life part of it. And um, for me, that's where I started drinking. Like, I didn't drink through high school. I started drinking in college. And, um, you know, the Greek life component made it very easy. Um, it was like, 
okay, we're going to drink on Thursdays and then Fridays and then Saturdays and, you know, and then slowly it kind of bled into every day. Um, and it just kind of became like almost an acceptable thing, like to just be drunk on a Tuesday at three in the afternoon for some reason. Like it's, it's weird how that happens. Um, because like, you know, you go from high school where you're kind of regimented in class at like, you know, seven to you know, three, and then you have after school activities, and like that partying is kind of uh, compacted, I guess, for high schoolers on like a Friday, Saturday night. But then you get to college, and all of a sudden, you you don't have class on a Tuesday at three, and everybody just gets together, you know, at at a fraternity house or a sorority house, and starts to party. Um, and that level of freedom at that age <laughs> is g- good and really bad. So I'm guessing. And I don't know, like, was that for you, like, drink, drinking to blackout? Or was that just more like, hey, I'm trying to fit in? I So I wasn't in a sorority myself. Like, like I said, most people in my school were in a sorority fraternity. That wasn't me. That wasn't the route that I took. But all my girlfriends were in sororities. And so they kind of had parties going that way. I was not – I never <laughs> – uh, I never t- aimed to, to, to black out, mm-hmm. right? I just was going to have fun, but I've never been a person that was going to stop at one. That was just not going to be my situation. And alcohol was involved in everything we do. I was actually looking through some old photos and uh, there's pictures of me and my friends are, you know, each of them are trying to cover my eyes. I'm getting my nose pierced, but I had to drink shots before I could go because I was just so scared of the needle. But there's just, so alcohol was just kind of everywhere that we went. And like I said, it was a very affluent school. Mm-hmm. So there was never a problem of supply. There were constantly going to be um, options there. I mean, even, even to the point that uh, the fraternities would rent charter buses to take us to and from the bar. So you never had to worry about driving home, how you're going to get home because you would have a ride back, right? The problem was it only took you to the fraternity house and then I had to get back to where I lived. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you the number of times that I'm so grateful that nothing ever happened to me because of the number of times that I walked home alone, kind of deciding I was done with the party and going to leave and nothing ever happened. But I mean, I was just putting the risk myself at risk far too many times for that to pay out. It was just, it was really terrible. So, yeah. And then after college, um, you you continued on your education, correct? So I did. I did. I went to law school. Hmm. Um, so I went to law school. It's uh, alcohol is very prevalent among lawyers too. I think that's a very common thing in those high stress professions for doctors and lawyers, where alcohol is is everywhere. It's how a lot of people cope with the really intense demands of their jobs. And so everything that we were doing there in terms of social, we didn't have fraternities, but in terms of socializing, socializing alcohol was always. Um, a part of it there at the law school as well. Okay. And, and you, you made it through law school. What does life look like after law school for you? Um, so, well, I mean, life changes quite a bit um, after law school. So in, in law school, you know, I had another major bout of depression. I can remember one time um, sitting in the bathroom floor, actually on my birthday, which is um, early on in the academic year. And uh, I was sitting on the bathroom floor crying um, you know, I was in property law class, like property law is enough to bore anybody to tears, but it was really just, I was just so frustrated with the direction that my life was going, um, and just really depressed that way. And again, my alcohol used to skyrocket, but it, I felt like a finished degree was better than no degree. So I stayed, uh, I stayed through it and, and got my degree, but it was while I was in law school, actually, that I did another study abroad in Switzerland. And it was there that I met my husband and actually met him at a bar, um, and so we, we did some long distance for a while before I eventually moved to Switzerland. We were there for five years. Okay. 
So five years in Switzerland, you have your law degree. How are you, I guess, and and we didn't talk about this, but like I've been to Switzerland once. It's super beautiful. And, you know, it's like a different, it's like a different world from where you live now, where I live. Like it is very different. Um, You know, what, what did it look like for you? One profession, I guess, professionally, like when you're there, how are you able to sort of transition into that world? You have a, you have an education. Are you able to just like integrate right away or is it a trick? It was a little difficult for me because I was a a licensed attorney in Texas, but that means nothing in Switzerland. Um, And I didn't really want to practice law anyway, so I kind of had to fill where I was going to fit in. And luckily, there's a lot of uh, huge corporations. Nestle is is in Switzerland. There's a lot of big companies there that I was applying to to try to get my foot in the door. Um, And also, they're always looking for English speakers. That was kind of my one up there to say, you know, this is something that I can benefit. But on the other hand, in Switzerland, they have three national languages. So they want you to speak English, but they also want you to speak French, German, and Italian. Mm. So it was a little a little difficult getting started, but it was, you know, friends of friends. My husband um, had connections that I was able to utilize, and I ended up getting hired at one of the um, one of the big accounting firms, one of the big global accounting firms there. Okay. Yeah, and it was, you know, for them. Occasionally, we would go out um, to drink, but a lot of a lot of the people there. I didn't think much of it at the time, but they had their stuff together. Like I was the instigator. I was the one being like, come on, stick around. Let's have another one. Let's, and, and these people would have a beer or two and then they would just go home. Like that mm. just wouldn't be where that, like the night just ended there. And it didn't really make any sense to me because why would you stop? Like we were still partying. Like the night's not over. It's, you know, it's only 10 o'clock or whatever. Um, but for them, I guess the maturity level had been reached at that point where they're like, I'm just kind of here for one or two, but that's just not where I was. Like if, if it's fun, why wouldn't I just want to continue this at this point? Yeah. I remember when I was there, everything did kind of seem to shut down. Um, I don't remember what time it was. My trip was like a blur, but it was very like, you know, we went to dinner and then like there was like one service it seemed and then it was over and like you were back to your hotel. Um, so it did seem very kind of refined in that way. Um, but, um, so you were there five years, uh, and then at that point, are you forced to come back to the States or was this like a, I just don't know how it works. Like, would, would you have been able to stay in Switzerland forever or like, yes, yes. I married, uh, since, since uh, my husband is Swiss and we're married, I have a, I have an opportunity to stay there forever. It's, uh, it's it's, it's not nearly as complicated as it is now that, you know, that we're married and I brought him here Hmm. at the U S to get a permanent resident card. It was much faster in Switzerland. Things are very efficient and very bureaucratic there. So (laughs) things got done. Um, but while I was there, um, I actually got halfway through, I had yet another bout of depression and this time I was actually hospitalized. And um, even there, there were times, it was a kind of an inpatient outpatient situation. Like you had to stay during the week, but you could go home for the weekends, but it wasn't like we were on lockdown essentially. Um, So I would occasionally go out in the afternoons to the grocery store and and buy a beer or a, you know, a small bottle of vodka to kind of sneak back to my room. So I wasn't, I was still trying to cope on top of the medications that they were giving me because it just wasn't enough. I was really, I think a lot of my depression struggles have been aligned with careers that aren't, that aren't fitting for me or making choices that aren't fitting for me. Like that first big shift in Australia was just so, so different than what I'd been used to. And that law school was just not, I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer and I was doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. And then working for this accounting firm, it was very stressful and the money was there, but I wasn't passionate about it. Like I wasn't helping anyone at the end of, I could lie and say that I'm helping the world at some point, but it wasn't really, 
there wasn't really any purpose behind it. And I think that really dragged me down. That's something that is a desire that I've always had is to have some kind of meaning and contribution to the world. So that was a big struggle there. Um, I definitely was drinking a lot while I was there. I was hiding bottles for my husband, um, you know, in my by the back of my drawer, sneaking things in. And uh, again, it's it's the depression. If I can get it, once I can get it under control, then things kind of go back to normal. Mm-hmm. So we had been in Switzerland for five years. We, um, we his obviously his parents are there and my parents are here and we don't have children. And so we just decided to be flexible. We just kind of made the decision to come spend some, maybe five years here. Maybe we'll go back in a little bit. And I moved in the middle of 2019. And then my husband, his visa took longer and you know, there was a, a situation at one point it got pushed back even farther and then march 2020 hits mm. and we switzerland was a hotbed of COVID at that time so we were able to use that to say you it did work we had to kind of submit an application i had a, a lawyer help me out to kind of say here are the facts this is what's happening and so we need to expedite it. to be honest we were at the end anyway it wasn't like you know that you know this is in the middle i don't think i don't think any, it would have worked for just anybody but he was already at the last stage where mm. it was we just need to interview you and then you're in and so that's kind of how we were able to expedite that last little bit so he came uh the middle of march 2020 um april something like that yeah because so. it was hard to like just travel at that point if i can remember correctly i don't even remember like the past three years or four years have been like a a sandwich of mush but I, I i remember like that was not a thing right like it felt like the borders were closed and i don't know yeah. maybe i'm misremembering <laughs> There were some flights, but you had to be really spaced out. I think he had like 12 people on his entire plane. And he also had, I think, four flight attendants for the flight. There's like some rules about how many people, how many flight attendants need to be on there. So he had, basically everybody had their own kind of personal flight attendant for the flight. That's Um, so crazy. That's so crazy. I mean, it's a great story, right? Like of how it all came to be. Um, And I'm glad that it it did come to be. So you, so you moved back here. Um, You've obviously had another bout of depression you're back at home which is probably a little strange it's covid you don't have a job i'm guessing or did you have like so like this probably doesn't feel like the most stable of times like how are i guess how one how are you feeling and two like how are, are you going about finding like like work and getting your footing back in the states Yes. Yeah, so well, actually, while I was in Switzerland, I did a new degree and I got a, a master's in library science. So I did a, a, an internship while I was there. And so that's what I was moving into in the U.S. to look for a job in libraries. Hmm. Um, fortunately, there there are quite a few jobs in libraries. There's a lot of them are, are low paying, so they can be very cyclical in, in, in hiring people that way. So it wasn't super long before I found something. But even when I found something, the pay was definitely not enough to move out of my parents' house. Um, and being at the age that I was and having, you know, multiple degrees and, and having gone from a nearly six figure salary to living at home with mom and dad again was, um, it was a little rough. And I, I'm, to be honest, I love my mom. My mom is one of my best friends, but even still, it's like, I've, I've flown this nest. I don't need to be back here. And so, um, even there I was doing the same thing. I was kind of sneaking alcohol to cope. I missed my husband. It was really hard, the long, the long distance there for, seven or eight months. We'd already done that once in our relationship. And so it's kind of like opening up old wounds. Um, We had actually broken up once when we were doing long distance and that lasted like three days because 
we just can't handle it. But the the whole thing was just so stressful and so hard. I don't recommend long distance to anybody, um, especially when there's a time zone difference like that. But um, so it was kind of opening up those old wounds of having to do this all over again, where he's on the other side of the world. And it was just, it was just awful. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, you know, I think, <laughs> yeah, I could see the long distance and the time, you know, it's one thing to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm two hours away you know, and I'll see you on a weekend, but now you have a time thing. So the phone calls are hard and then you have to like jump on a flight that's, you know, overnight. And then like, I don't know how that would, I, I don't know how I would deal with that. Um, on top of all the other things that were going on in that moment in time, yeah. you know, to, to further complicate the whole thing, like you had a lot going on at that moment. Um, so was that sort of a, a, a moment in time where you thought, okay, I'm going to change my relationship to alcohol at all? Or was that that you were just completely still just head down? No, alcohol was definitely my medicine at this okay. point is kind of how I'm ignoring things. And, um, again, I, like it was, I hated that I was sneaking things, but there was no way that I was going to be able to. I, I couldn't let people know how much I was drinking. That would then I would have to kind of admit that there was a problem there and that I had an addiction. So if I'm doing sneakily, it doesn't count. I only I'm the one that knows that there's an issue. Um, but it's one of those things where you can just kind of justify it the next morning. You know, like it wasn't like every single night. So clearly it wasn't a problem yet. It was only you know four or five times a week, right? Uh, but there was no way that I was going to consider giving up alcohol at that point. And I also um, for a really long time. I would actually, I pitied people that didn't drink or couldn't drink because in my mind, everything was better with alcohol. Like it ignored all the times that everything was worse with alcohol, but that's the conclusion that I had was that everything was better with alcohol. And so um, there was no, there was absolutely no discussion that in my head that I was thinking, okay, things have got to change. Like this is the way things are. And I, and because I had gone through these swings, maybe I'll swing up again when my husband gets here and then we'll, you know, only drink on the weekends, like mm -hmm. regular people do kind of thing. Okay. And so he gets to the States at, and, you know, does that happen? I guess is my question. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So he came, like I said, end of March or April. And fortunately for my husband, he has his own business. And so when he came, it wasn't like we were both struggling for work. Like I had had a job at this point, um, but he had his own business in Switzerland. And so he was just working with those same clients just in a different country. Mm -hmm. So we were quickly able, we had a, a very short transition where I used my brother's, we used my brother's apartment for some time just while we were finding a place. He, he was, he was not that living there at the time. And, uh, and then we got our own, um, our own, actually it was a house that we were renting for a while. So we were able to, to pull something together. It was funny though, actually, when we came back, um, I had to, I had to prove so many things just to get a lease because my credit score was a four when I came back because I hadn't used credit in five years. I wasn't using American credit cards when I was in Switzerland. And so um, if you're going to leave the country for a long time, that's a, a little thing there. I had, I, before that, I, you know, I had never paid a bill late. I didn't have mm. any issues, but I came back and my credit score was a four, not 400, four. And so it's taken a long time to kind of build that up and build some trust. It was, it was, my husband was so proud of himself because he started and he got like a 720 the first time he ever applied for credit. And I'm just like, I hate you. That's crazy. <laughs> um, so you guys find a house, you know, in your story that you're telling yourself, it's like, okay, he's going to be back. I'm going to have a job. He's going to have a job. My drinking is going to go down. 
that that probably doesn't happen. I'm guessing you kind of do you stay in that same kind of drinking sphere or are like when are you starting to see a, a real problem? Like, is it around that time or? Um, well, so the signs were there. I just wasn't ready to accept that they were signs. So health is a big value of mine. I'm always trying to, you know, not diet, but try the healthiest thing. These are the superfoods and the antioxidants and all these kinds of things. Um, so that's always a big priority for me. And I had read, I didn't, you know, lo and behold, alcohol is, is not healthy for you. <laughs> so I decided to try dry January one time. I got all of the books from the library because that's what I do when I need the answer to something. I go to the library and I find a book for it. So I pull all these books together and I'm reading about all the different ways that alcohol is terrible. And I do my first dry January. And I think I drank maybe three or four times during it. But, you know, one of those days was just a really hard day at work. And then another time it was somebody's birthday. And so, of course, you're going to drink. And, you know, other times something good happened. And so I need to celebrate. So those times didn't count right so other than that i did my dry january i cleansed myself for 30 days and then i could go back into normal and i repeated this process for years for several years in a row um and only one of those times was i able to go the entire 31 days without drinking and i was thinking about alcohol every single minute like constantly i had a timer on my phone for february 1st at 1201 like i was counting down the seconds to get there it was absolutely miserable and i think that was kind of the wake-up call to say you know you could lie to yourself about not being able to go 31 days because because of these specific events but when you do you hate it and that's just not a life like i don't want to be thinking about alcohol every single day um but I, even then I knew it was a problem, but I wasn't ready to act on the problem. Mm. So at this point, I've realized I can't go without it. When I do go without it, I'm an absolutely miserable person. But I don't want to fix that yet because I still need it. I still need it to deal with the stress. I still need it to have fun. I still need it to um, really to accept myself, you know, to be out in public and socializing and not just thinking these terrible things. And, you know, I don't fit in. I'm not enough. I'm not, you know, people don't like me. All these all this chatter that's always going on in my head. I really wasn't ready to accept it and it nothing actually happened when i was finally ready to accept it it was november later that year that i just decided enough was enough but there wasn't like a, a rock bottom moment there wasn't some big terrible situation that happened to me i mean if i were gonna have a rock bottom it would have been maybe a year or two before where there was a night that i my, my husband and i weren't in the same city and i drank way too much and, and blacked out and it was just a really bad night um that didn't stop me that wasn't enough it was just something about that time you know around november i was just like i'm sick of this i'm just i'm just tired of feeling like crap i'm tired of fighting you know, I just, I, I threw in the towel. Like I was constantly fighting myself with, yes, I want to, no, I don't want to. Okay. Only on, only on Fridays and Saturdays. Okay. Only Thursday, Friday. It was just too much, too many rules, too much. And I just, I said, enough is enough. And I, I knew I needed to get help. Yeah. Yeah. And you had gone to the library for books. So was there something in that, that like you were able to pull out of or like pull on to help you at that point? Or like, where did you go at that moment to find the help? Um, so the books, um, I, 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 the couple of the ones that I had, I really liked Holly Whitaker's Quit Like a Woman. I like her, um, feminist stance on things. I really liked Annie Grace's, um, I guess it's just, yeah, The, the Snake of Mind Control Alcohol, I guess is the title, but I had already, because I had been introduced to Annie Grace, I started getting targeted stuff on Instagram. I think that's where I finally found her program was the very, very many ads that she runs. I, I was sucked in by one of them. Um, and so that's what I decided to do. I, she had a, a free program that she was running and I called my husband crying and I was like, I'm going to spend this money. And I felt so guilty spending this money on myself 
one, not recognizing that I would have spent that in a couple months on alcohol mm -hmm. anyway, and two, just not valuing myself enough to say, is it worth it if it changes the rest of my life? If I never have to feel this way, I kind of, not that I need to you know, permission from my husband. He was like, absolutely do whatever you want to do. But it just, it was so hard for me to admit to spend that money to say, okay, I need help and this is how I'm going to do it. But that's, that's what ended up happening is I, I joined one of our group coaching programs. Um, and I decided to quit drinking on January 1st, 2023. And, you know, by May I had quit my job and was starting my own coaching business. And I mean, it's just been a complete, a uh, complete roller coaster, but in the best way, like the really fun roller coasters mm. and stuff. So, and I mean, you mentioned Annie and Holly Whitaker. I know both yeah. of them. Um, you know, Holly had the her original podcast with Laura way back, mm -hmm. the home podcast, and then she had Hip Sobriety, and now I don't even know what it's called anymore. Some it's other Tempest, maybe or Tempest. Yeah, I don't know if she still runs a school and. I'm not 100% sure, um, <clears throat> but I know Annie, and I've I've read Annie's book, um, and both of them, you know, offer this alternative to, I guess, the traditional path, right? So, like, in 20 years ago, I mean, even sooner than that, right, 10 years ago, uh, you know, it was like, if you had a problem, you were either, you know, white-knuckling it at home, going into a basement of a church for AA, um, maybe finding a book in the library, right? But like, it wouldn't be a, and I don't even know, maybe Annie's book was out then. I don't think so. I don't remember when it was published, but like, it wasn't very much in your face, right? Like it was kind of behind, like in the shadows a little bit, like recovery, sobriety, all that was like in the shadows and not talked about the way it is today. But now, like you were able to go on Instagram, you see Annie's, post because it's like hitting your algorithm rhythm the right way and you know you're on sobriety talk or whatever it is right and it's hitting your eyes and and then you're like oh this seems like something that i could do um and i can pay for it and it's different that didn't exist back when um and and i when i got when i found my sobriety um it was in the rooms of AA for like a year and a half and, and I could go into my whole thought on AA and I hate it, hated it. And then I liked it. And now I'm like a little conflicted about it, you know? So it's like, I, I've kind of gone on this roller coaster with AA and my thoughts. I think it has really great, really great parts. And then has really bad parts. Um, <clears throat> and I think that like Holly and Annie and Laura McCowan and, you know, some of these other, you know, people who are putting together programs have done really great jobs of taking out some of the good parts and then leaving out the bad parts and then putting in this this other thing. So I guess my question to you, there's a long way to ask a question, um, is like, you know, when you when you dove into Annie's program, like I don't know how to ask this because there's a monetary value attached to it. Like for me, like working out in my basement is much different than working out at the CrossFit gym that I pay for. Like yeah. if I'm, if I'm paying for the CrossFit gym, I'm more apt to go. Right. Because I can say like, Hey, that class that I just missed cost me $15. Right. Like I can attach a monetary value to it. So there's something to that. Was that sort of a factor for you? at all or, or was or were you going to do this regardless or i just i'm trying to understand it a little bit um well 
Uh, just to kind of build on the point earlier, you know, you said like 10 years ago, kind of these were the only options. And I would argue that for the vast majority, these are still the only options. Those right, traditional. Right. I had no idea that there's coaching. You know, I, it looks like if I look through my Instagram now, I'm like, oh, my God, everybody's a sober coach. But that's because I'm looking at it. But I didn't know coaching was even a thing outside of sports mm -hmm. to have a, a, a solution. So. I still think that we're in a situation where it's these are a traditional method or rehab or go it alone. Those are your three options. And so it's really important to me for people to be aware that there is another option. It's not that necessarily those other ones are bad, but they may not be a fit for you. You know, like right. I am I am not at all religious. You know, part of that just doesn't appeal to me. Um, and so that was just something that wasn't going to fit in for me. So the coaching did. But yeah, I think I think in terms of my decision to stop drinking on day. Well, actually, I. I Quit drinking kind of before that, or I, I had kind of taken a pause in December, but it started on January 1st because she had like a little lead in before of like these inspirational videos coming through every day. And I think that decision to kind of start then was I'm going to get my money's worth. Like mm -hmm. if this is going to happen, I'm going to get my money's worth from it. Um, I am also a very skeptical person. And so the first thing I do when I, you know, attempt to buy anything or sign up for anything is read the the cancellation policy, the refund policy. I, I expect that things are not going to work out. I'd rather be pleasantly surprised than let down. Mm. So I had full intention of, of taking her up on her, her you know, 100% money back guarantee or whatever she's got going on now. Um, I just didn't expect it to work, but I was going to try. And I'm also... I'm also the good student still. I'm still that straight A student. And so if we're going to, you know, if I'm going to work on it, she doesn't, it's not like she tells you to take a break on day one. It's, it's like two months in that they actually all kind of commit, but I was going to do it right. I was going to get the straight A and I was going to start on day one and, you know, make my decision at that point. But I don't think I would have done it if I had done something for free because mm. you treat something as free. I think you treat it like it's free and it can always, okay, I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. But like you said, like a missed class, like if I paid for, you know, all of these sessions, I'm going to get all of these sessions worth, you know, because my money means something to me. Like I'm, I'm not cheap, but like, I'm, I'm wise, I guess I would say when it comes to how I'm spending my money. Right. So yeah. no, I mean, there's a psychology to it, right. You talk about it in like business school too. It's like, you know, people tend to think things that are more expensive are better. Just, it's just yeah. the way it is. Right. There's a, I don't know what the psychology of that is, but there is a psychology to it. And, um, I know again, for me, like the gym is the perfect example. Like I have a great gym set up in my basement, but I could not go down there very easily. Like I, I can make that decision so easily, but you know, if I'm paying, it's, it's a much harder discussion to have in my head of like, eh, do I really need to stay home tonight or should I go to the gym? It, it's going to win out if I've paid for it. And I know not everybody can do that. Yeah. Like that is the challenge with this, this model, right? It, it, it is a, there is a restriction on it. And, um, you know, that, that becomes the challenge. Like, how do you balance that out? I guess. And, you know, but like Annie puts her, her tools are in the book, right? Right. So like you could go to the library and you could get the book for free. Right. You could buy the book for you know, $20 on Amazon or whatever it costs, or you could do the class. And then, you know, to further that down, like now you're offering coaching, like that's what you are doing. So you are, you're offering coaching around living an alcohol free life. And like, that's your, that's your market. And you are doing that. And um, I don't know what you do. I, I, I do coaching, but I would like to hear a little bit about how you, how you do it and like what you're, offering into the the space 
Sure. So I think it's, I think you touched on an important point there that, you know, obviously not everybody can afford this, but that's why a lot of people in this sphere have, you know, some kind of, you know, stratum, right? So like you said, Annie has a book. She also has the free alcohol experiment in her app. And then she has this group coaching, right? Other people have programs, group coaching, and then, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching and one-on-one -on -one is, is what I do right now. Um, eventually I would like to be able to offer scholarships, but right now what I'm focusing on is one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the reason I do that one is it's not the the norm, I guess, in the sphere. A lot of things are group-based. Mm -hmm. And for me, there was so much shame behind my drinking that when I joined that group, you know, my name was MR in the group because I didn't even want people to know my name. I was so embarrassed that, that one, it came to this, and two, that I was going to be honest with people and let them know kind of the the mental struggles that are there that are causing me to behave this way. So um, that I think can be a barrier to people where, you know, even if it's an anonymous group, quote unquote, there's people are still seeing you. They can still have reactions to the things that you're saying and doing. And so having that one-on-one, -on -one, it's just one person who has probably done worse than you or has helped people through worse um, is something that is just very, it's very limited, I think, in this sphere. I think it tends to be group. And I think groups are fantastic. I think you can really learn a lot from the questions you don't even think to ask because someone else is having a situation um, or, or a thought or a question. But there's, I don't think that there's enough one-on-one -on -one support for the people that need it. And so that's really what I'm passionate about is that person that kind of wants full attention you know, doesn't want to have to, you know, be in a whole group. It's just really, really a dedicated time so that they can kind of progress faster is the idea. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Um, again, there are group benefits, you know, and, and that is one of the benefits that I think AA has, right? Like yeah. I, I do feel like there's a power in the group and community. And like I've said that on this podcast a bunch, like for me, community is a huge part of my recovery. Like there's only certain places that we can get that today. I think in a meaningful way, unfortunately, um, with the way that the world is structured, it's just, it's more and more challenging to find like a true community. Like some people will think like, well, my work's my community. It's like, meh, it's your job. Like, you know, like those people would like forget you tomorrow. Well, most of them, you know, um, and you know, we pay for a gym or, or something like that. And then, you know, there's, I think... I don't know, at least where I am, it seems like fewer and, for few, fewer and fewer people go to church. So, you know, it's hard sometimes to find that community support for, you know, for people. Um, so I do think that's important, but I also know the benefits of the one-on-one -on -one and how to yeah. get that is really important. And like you're saying, some people don't feel comfortable going to the group. Um, you know, I work with people i coach people a little bit differently um and mine come to me through a community organization and i work with them for a short duration and it's free to them um so you know my my success rate of people talking to me is lower because it's free right like yeah. they you know skeptic right like it's free how good could it be but the people that do engage you know, a lot of them do say like, I don't know if I want to be in a group. Yeah. You know, it's like, it is a, it's a challenge. You know, a lot of people who have challenges around substance tend to be, you know, especially at the far end, very insulated into their right. own thing, right? Like you've kind of shut other people out and it's become very like, uh, you know, you're doing it alone at your house and it's like, eh, there's a lot of shame and, 
fear. And so like I get going to an AA meeting or something like that can be challenging. So what you're offering is, is really great. Um, and I think that, again, I don't know how many people do it cause I don't, I don't actually look for the service anymore. So I don't know what's out there, but I don't know, you know, if it's a huge market or not, I, I, w- I wouldn't know. Is it, is it a giant market or is it pretty small? I, you know, again, it's, it, it's because I'm in the center of it. I see things everywhere. I think the general trend, first of all, I don't think coaching is the the norm in general for getting help in this area. So mm. we're already talking about a smaller chunk. And then in that, I think the majority is group focused. I think there's very few that are willing to work one-on-one, especially, you know, if, if I have the opportunity to help 12 people in an hour or one person, like it's going to be more significant to me to help both to know to help 12. Um, and so I think that a lot of people approach it that way is mm. they're able to do more good, but I'm, it's not that I'm not doing more good. It's that I'm going deeper with one person. I think one-on-one can also serve as a bridge. You know, like you're saying, people can get very isolated when they're on that far end of the spectrum and they're drinking alone. And, you know, you tend to be more isolated with friends. You can ostracize people because of your drinking habits. And so having that bridge of like, I have one person that can kind of understand me. One person's always in my corner. One person that believes in me when I don't have any faith in myself. And then I can move into finding additional layers of support. But to be thrown in, I think can be a little hard for people. Like I would have paid if I was already upset about how much I was going to have to pay for the first time for the group. But if there was an option to have a one-on-one, I would have chosen it because I was just so embarrassed that I needed this help to begin with. Um, I, I would have dove in. And in that group, you know, it's, the Annie's program is humongous, right? Mm. So there were probably hundreds of people in that group. Um, not everyone's participating at the same level, but it's a lot of people. Yeah. There's groups that are smaller, but to be thrown into that, it, it just when I would have liked a bridge. I think that's kind of where I feel that 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 um, that need there is the people that are they're just not ready to tell a whole bunch of people. But maybe maybe I can open that door with one, and I can get you comfortable with one, and kind of understanding that they're you know starting to remember the value that you have. Um, and then, then we can build on that social network. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I mean, again, the folks that I work with, typically I'm just trying to get them, you know, one to either acknowledge the issue mm-hmm. and then two to like, Hey, here's some ideas about what we could do to get you on your feet. Right. Like I'm not actually doing the deep work with people because I want I'm, it's, I don't have that kind of like, it's, it's eight, it's eight weeks um and they're not coming to me because they want to typically <laughs> like they they found me because they had the worst day of their life and that's how i get in contact with my people where i think your clientele is probably hey i'm searching something out i do want help so like you can meet them at a different place which is really which is really good um yeah. and i think that that's awesome and um something that you know, again, I don't think exists. Well, maybe it did exist 10 years ago. I don't know, 10, 11 years ago. I have no idea. I just, I just feel like everything's so different today, um, than it was back then. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of it is credit to people that just kind of put their story out there. Right. right? So like, that's the other thing I want to say is like, you know, you're out there, you're just telling your story on Instagram and you're sharing your story on a podcast. Like, there's just value in that too. So yeah. like, I know you're saying like, I only help people one at a time, but it's actually more, right? Yeah. Like if you have any presence on social media and you're saying this, like you are reaching ears yeah. on, on a, on a consistent basis. So there's that. Um, I wouldn't sell that part of the, what you're doing short. Like, I know it's like not, it doesn't seem that way, but sometimes 
people will reach out to you and let you know like, hey, that helped, right? Yeah. Like, and I think that that's an important part of what you're doing. Um, <clears throat> so where do you see this going? Um, just kind of continuing on. Um, yeah. Um, so I, <laughs> I am working on a book right now. Um, I mentioned that I am very skeptical. I would call myself one of the least woo-woo people in the world. Um, so what I want to do is kind of take a, a skeptic's approach to self-help and try out a lot of these more esoteric uh, practices and, and from that skeptical belief to see if there really is something behind it. You know, the placebo effect is very strong. Hmm. And so, I mean, I don't really care how people get help, but if I can find some, some practices, some value that even can convince me that they help, you know, then I think it can have some value there. So that's something I'm working on just as a, a side project. Um, but I really love the the one-on-one -on -one coaching. I think a lot of people really enjoy the group, but one-on-one -on -one for me is the value. I just really, I just can feel like I can connect deeper with a person. And so that's, that's the focus that I've got going on right now. Okay. Going back to the book, the woo-woo thing, like I'm interested in that. Like what, so I don't know if you can like tell me, like what are some of the woo-woo things that you might be challenging or testing like because oh. you know i've uh i listen sometimes uh, i listen to the joe rogan podcast and he has this guy duncan trussell on and one time he mentioned like the woo to q train which i found really interesting that people who are like I, get, I, I didn't even know like woo-woo was a thing but i guess like people who are like in that woo-woo world are very easily then like at some point, we're very easily slid over to the QAnon train. Like, it wasn't a huge jump. For whatever yeah. reason, it, it's like that same personality that could buy, like, crystals could then also buy, like, Pizzagate, which I didn't quite make that sort of... But I, it happened, I guess. It's like a huge portion. So, like, I'm just interested what you would be challenging. Well, I mean, to that to that point, yeah, if you're... If you are it's not it's not that people are gullible but if you believe if you're more trusting and more willing to believe then you're more willing to believe things that are uh not based in fact mm -hmm. i guess we could say so um to be as kind as i can put it so there are in terms of the practices i'm starting some of them are very um they're actually practices i have adopted like so for example i, I have a whole list i wish i could pull my list up right now but i turned my phone off for this because my friends have been sending me stuff because i have some people that are are very on the other end of the spectrum mm. for me and they all kinds of stuff but one of the ones that i'm doing that i will say at least works for me i i need to do more research on it is eft yeah uh, the tapping i absolutely love that i don't i don't care if i'm releasing you know my the energy centers is just the practice of focusing on my body i think is what calms me down so i i use that quite a bit um some shadow work is some things i'll be looking at and reiki and crystals and just i got some i just got a great list the other day and i just i don't have it on me but really it's going to really go the spectrum from okay. things that are more in the mainstream and then just are cuckoo bananas yeah yeah i just did tapping this morning actually we we went yeah. and and i've done tapping before so like i i actually went to a therapist and there was a lot of the therapy was around tapping and for me i don't again i don't know if it was the practice of the tapping or like the way that she would frame the statements that she would have me tap through there was yeah. something to the way that she would speak that would get my mind thinking in a certain way. But then, you know, I also get in these moments of anxiety, like when I'm driving and I'll call my wife and she'll go like, just tap. And it's weird that it will like pull me out of that anxiety moment. So there's something to it. And I don't know if it's just like putting me back in that chair 
where I was like able to calm down. I, I don't know. Um, but we did it today. We went to look at a charter school for my younger son and, um, they did this assembly and they, they, they had all the kids sitting around and the nurse came out and she's like, we're going to do EFT today. And, and I like, and, and I don't, we don't know what we're doing with this charter school. So like it, that's neither here nor there. But as soon as that happened, I'm like, oh, my, my wife is going to want to send my son here like right away because like we both believe in it now, right? It's, there's something to it and I don't know what it is. And, and for the, the listeners who, who don't know what it is and want, you can find a ton of research out there. But like that one, I, that one, I believe crystals, eh, I'm like, yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, for the tapping, I don't have the, I'm, the, the goal of the book is to have a lot of research behind it. Yeah. Um, but the, the tapping, if I were going to narrow it down, I think it's just that focus on the body, which mm. so it's getting out of your head and into your body, which so many practices do. Yeah. Right. Nice. Like that's what meditation about is about. It's not about stopping the thoughts. It's about being aware and kind of pulling you out of that. Um, positive intelligence is also just kind of focusing on focusing on, you know, your feet on the ground, your butt in the seat, whatever, and just taking yourself away from those thoughts. And that's really what calms mm -hmm. you down. Whether mm -hmm. it's because I'm tapping on certain meridians, I, it's, it's just, I'm focusing on my body and listening to someone talk. Um, you know, I don't have to think the thoughts, thoughts are being told to me, but yeah, I, I will search um, on YouTube tapping for whatever. I actually yeah. had a, um, I'm a hypochondriac, I'll tell you this. So I, if I have a, a, a headache or my brain, you know, my head feels tight, I'm going to assume it's a tumor and mm. whatever. And I know that this is crazy. And so I'll look for, you know, tapping for hypochondriacs just kind of calm me down. It just, it, it works for me just taking me out. Um, and I don't have to, to do the focus. I'm just following along with the steps. Right. So, yeah. 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 I, there's one that's sort of weird to me. You, you said like grounding, like the grounding thing, like actually taking your shoes off and like grounding yeah. to like that yeah. one. I don't, you know, there's a lot of them out there that I just don't get, but it's not yeah, for I me. There's science on that one about how it um, can help you when you're doing um, with, with jet lag is yeah, when you yeah. when you yeah so i think there's actual research behind it and again that's where i i i'm a nerd i love data that's why i you know i, I really dove into that accounting firm when i was there because i love analytics even mm. in my job right now i'm constantly looking at analytics constantly looking to approve i love research-based methods so I, I think it's gonna be really fun to kind of dive into what the research says approaching it with my skeptical i don't this is gonna work and then just seeing what happens from there it's, yeah it's really fun. well go search at that article article on the woo to q train because I, I think it is out there i think i looked it up and it, it dove into like these specific pockets of people um yeah. and they tend to if i remember the article correctly it was like it, it tended to be about a certain demographic and they you know whole food shopper and like, there was all these weird little things that just kind of i was like oh, you know it kind of checks if i look at my instagram feed right like I try to avoid that side of the internet. I don't even want, you know what, if it works for you, my, the thing is, even with the, you know, AA rehab, whatever, I don't really care how people get help yeah. as long as you're not hurting somebody else. Now, when you start to get to QAnon, that's when you start to get, um, the, the hurting other people is, is, is popping up there. But right. if you're, if you're getting help because your crystal is the one that's, you know, if your crystal is telling you that you're not going to drink today, then more power to you. That's working for you. But as long as you're not hurting anybody, believe whatever you want to believe. Yeah. Um, I'm, what the research says yeah i yeah i mean i don't care one way or the other i just uh there was an interesting thing that was happening because i you know it was at that moment i think where it was like everything was kind of peaking when i heard that and um then i thought yeah there's some weird practices out there but that's not for me to you know question right like there's a lot of things that are true you know sure. and um you know like um like a sound bath like 
I sat there. I sat through a sound bath. It was nice. Like I sat there for a half hour listening to somebody play on like bowls, and it was great. Like I felt so really good. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was boring, but it felt good. Boring. I don't know why. You know? Uh, it's nothing for me. But yeah. I mean, there and there were people next to me. They're like, "Oh my god!" It was, you know, uh, uh, just kind of having visions and whatever during this thing. I was yeah, like, no, it was I, "Fine." Yeah. I mean, like. I didn't have that. I just, I, I got very relaxed, right? Like it was good in that way. Um, I mean, music does can do the same thing yeah. too. Just lower pitched music can have that same kind of relaxing. Yeah, effect, yeah, right? so. yeah, yeah. There's some like, you know, green sound and brown sound and like all those things on Spotify that'll just play for like three days of just yeah. like a tone um, that have huge listeners. I, you yeah. know, somebody's making some, I don't know how much money, probably like $5, but whatever. <laughs> Um, it's money. Um, yeah, so that's going to be an interesting book. Like I could see it like each chapter challenge, like, you know, that's good. Um, I could also just see it as like an investigative podcast where you go out and you like, just talk to the crystal people and like, let them talk. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> because that um, would be really entertaining, I think. Um, you know, and then the next week you're talking to the, you know, whatever. Shadow I don't know. worker. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, it's it is i think I, I don't know how many people will be signing up to be on my podcast if i'm coming in there being like convince me that this is not you know well yeah content. you'd have to do it all at once and then just like <laughs> and then release it you couldn't like you couldn't drip drab that one out you'd have to do like a 12 episode arc and like just record it and, and let it be right yeah. but there, there'd be something there um it, it's it, you know the I, maybe the problem i have with it is like it's like the snake oil thing. Like, I just get very nervous about that, too. Like, that's, that, that's where I get nervous. Like, I, you can do your own thing. And, like, if you think it works, it's great. But then I also look at, like, the other side of it. Like, is this a snake oil salesman? And, like, you know, I, I, yeah, that's where I get a little bit worried. Well, so if it's a snake oil the snake oil uh, analogy you're implying that's not going to work right yeah but placebos do work yeah like you, they, you know they do studies on people and placebos will make you feel better so if you're selling me what amounts to sugar but it's curing my headache or i'm you know my muscles feel looser or i'm losing weight whatever i don't know that you're selling me snake oil that right. way. you're selling me a solution you're selling me belief in something and so i'm not here to convince or to unconvince people that are, are willing to believe a practice like you can go do whatever you want to do. It's for the people that are like me that are like, I'm absolutely not going to do a flotation tank or a shadow work or a, you know, get in touch with my past selves or whatever. Um, but exploring some of those to see, is there actually some science behind hmm. it, um, behind it that way? But yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, again, if something works, it works more power to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um the last thing that i like to ask people and, and i asked you the last time but i'm going to throw it out here again um because you know it could change media i i am a big fan of media and i like to leave every episode with sort of a recommendation on a book or a movie show music whatever and if you have multiple great um so is there anything <laughs> you know i've been in a a bit of a rut for things i read voraciously but i haven't found a book where i'm like okay this is really good the book i'm reading right now is wellness by nathan hill uh, i'm still in the early stages i'm not yet um, convinced that it's fantastic but that one got me really excited last night because there's a whole section on um the placebo effect and so i got really excited because she's got basically or he's got resources right there in the book that i can kind of steal for my research for my for my book there 
Um, but that's a that's a work of fiction. Um, in terms of my recommendations, my recommendations are awful. Like the stuff that I watch, I my my husband and I love The Circle on Netflix. We get so sucked into these you know reality shows. Um, but normally, normally you find me rereading. I just haven't I haven't picked up a good one in a long time. Hmm. Stinkers. Yeah, you know I don't. It's hard for me to do these because I I end up kind of doing them every week. But um, you know, uh, and I'm just going to use the book because I used it last time. But uh, I picked up a book, Essentialism, by Greg, Greg McCowan, and it's it's a book about you know doing one thing really well versus you know ten twenty things mediocre which is kind of how we all work right now. And, you know, as I listen to your challenges around like, you know, your professional life and never feeling like you're fitting in there and, you know, it was kind of throwing your life off kilter until you find that right thing that you can really focus on, which you are now, and then you do it well, it be, it is hard, right? And And I think in our current world, you are asked to do like, 10, 15, 20 things, right? So he, he has some really great uh, tidbits of information in the book and great stories. And uh, I've taken a lot out of it. So that's a great book. And then I'm going to put out the show um, Fool Me Once. It's on uh, Netflix. Okay. Um, it's a Harlan Coben show. He's got a mm -hmm. bunch of them on Netflix and they're just great little mysteries and take twists and turns and you normally don't know what's going on until like the last episode so yeah. i like a show like that um and uh those are my recommendations for the week so um anything that you want to leave the folks with i'm going to link all your social media on on the show notes so that'll be out there but is there anything specific that you want to kind of get out there yeah, I mean, like I said, my mission is to make sure that people know that coaching is an option, that it doesn't have to be a rehab um, if those don't feel like fits for you, that there is something like coaching group, private, um, you know, however that looks, that that is an option there. Um, I've also created a resource for people that are thinking of quitting drinking. It's uh, five things to do before you quit drinking, um, that that's free on my website. And I also offer a, a sober strategy session. Um, which is a 30 minute call with me to kind of make sure that you're getting off on the right foot. If you're deciding that this is something that is that you're finally, if you're at that same point that I was where you're like, enough is enough. Something has got to change. I'm tired of fighting. Um, you know, we, you and I can talk and, and see where we might get you set off on the right foot. So That's great. That's great. Thank you, Marcy. And um, again, everybody check the show notes for the links to Marcy's website, social media. Um, I see her on Instagram. So she's out there also just kind of giving her message on pretty much the daily. I don't know. It yeah, seems so, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's great too, right? Like that resource is always out there. So um, please do check her out and we will see you here or I guess you'll hear me here next week. Thanks so much. Thank you so much.